Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. That is your main responsibility in any leadership role, that you can communicate that vision, that mission, and make sure that that's communicated in both directions. It's not just communicating out, it's listening back in as well. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Deborah Bullivant. Deborah is the founder and CEO of Grim & Co, a magical, fantastical Yorkshire charity unlocking imaginations to engage children and young people in stories. Deborah is an educationalist, a creative and social entrepreneur who leads Grim & Co and developed a blueprint for a successful writing and cultural centre for children and young people. Deborah joins us today to share her insight as a leader and a human CEO. So thank you for joining us today, Deborah. I'm really excited to hear more about Grim & Co. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to be doing this with you. It's great to see you, Amy. You too. And so can you tell everybody a little bit about Grim & Co as as an organisation and what you're working towards, please? Yes, of course. Grim & Co is a charity. Um, We're a charity that work with children and young people and we're all about writing. So our mission is to champion the writer in every child um through the joyful discovery of stories so we use stories across everything that we do and i find that stories are everywhere we are just stories aren't we really that's what we leave behind us when we leave the this mortal coil and uh and so it's, it's in everything and it's familiar to everyone so it's very inclusive uh but stories are our vehicle to learn really so we use stories in everything that we do and uh, we have a uh, shop uh, currently online. So we have a web shop as well as our physical shop. And uh, that shop sells all sorts of things to do with stories, but it's also a, we have an apothecary to the magical. And so our, uh, our magical shop uh, appeared many years ago in 1148, just before lunchtime, when Graham Grimm set it all up. And um, he was an entrepreneur, but he didn't know it in a lifetime that didn't have them. And he uh, came across a bogart on a walk when his father had sent him out to find his fortune. And uh, this bogart said he'd been looking for stories because you know, magical beings need stories too. Absolutely. So he created the apothecary on the back of uh, this need that needed filling. And uh, so he created demand for that. And so that's, that's why the shop is there. And then behind the shop, there's a secret door where all the real magic happens, the magic with words. And that's where the charity does its uh, weaves its wand uh, work and does lots with the children's writing. So we work with school groups, we work with uh, children in out-of-school clubs, holiday programmes. Um, we work in schools now, so we've got theatres, the everywhere and the inside story that we take into the schools. And uh, very soon we'll be popping up in a space in Rotherham Town Centre whilst our building is already um, that we've moved into during this uh, strange time that we've just had. We've uh, we've bought a building with a grant from the Arts Council that we can develop into the Emporium of Stories where there'll be a, a feastery uh, where you'll be able to come and get story-themed food and drink and coffee and um, there'll be books, there'll be the book nook and there'll be all sorts of secret doors and uh, magical goings-on for everyone uh, of all ages. Amazing, fantastic. And so as the leader of that kind of organisation, what kind of challenges are you up against at the minute? Oh, gosh, uh, 
the list is it grows all the time it, it doesn't you know it's not getting any easier but we're not alone in this um we have uh, the first challenge that we had is that you know schools schools stopped coming immediately yeah. before the lockdown because obviously they needed to be, uh, take precautions so uh, and that's part of our income we it's heavily subsidized the schools program but we, it is an income that we were used to uh, so that ceased immediately in march 2020 the shop ceased uh, in march 2020 in terms of income yeah. um so we had to switch everything to focus online for the shops we've got an amazing website shop now but um but of course it does it it does change that and that income level mm-hmm. um donations switched to nhs type donations and away from charities like us so mm-hmm. donations were lost we lost a lot of our income in one go and we needed to mitigate against the risk that that brought us so we had to move out of our site and into the building that during the <laughs> just at the wrong point we bought this building with that grant and um we were going to be in the other building continuing and I needed to make the decision really to move out of that building because we couldn't afford to run two buildings during a pandemic lockdown period yeah, of course we moved we uh moved into this space we've turned everything digital we've never stopped we've never stopped for a second our charities kept going through it all where lots of charities uh had to stop we had to do more because mm-hmm. children that we work with we we were looked after children we work with children with all sorts of needs uh those that are going through bereavement all sorts of needs that they have they needed us more than ever um because writing is a tool for resilience so we switched online we did lots of digital but we needed to do it in our grim way so we took a lot of care over it to make it work really well so mm-hmm. quality had to be there and um so yeah we we've never stopped we've continued to keep going and so my job behind the scenes was to make sure that we could fund that that we could manage that that we could mitigate against the financial risks that we mm-hmm. were facing and uh we lost a lot of the funding towards the development of the building as well so we've still got a shortage on that that I'm still fundraising for okay well, you could tell us more about that later if there are people that can get involved and help out it'd be fantastic to, to oh share. definitely yeah yeah there's ways of sponsoring uh the writers pads that we're creating really? here and there's all sorts of different ways that uh businesses individuals can get involved in helping us but can get something back out of it as well yeah, so yeah that's great Brilliant, brilliant. And so can you tell us a bit about your journey into leadership? Was it quite an organic process or was that always the, the plan for you to lead an organisation like this? Oh gosh, no. Um my journey started with leaving school without a single qualification. <laughs> uh I was on track until my uh it's a long time ago, so year 10 it would be now. Uh mm-hmm. in school I at that stage I was um on track to do really well and I was going to be an English teacher. I knew exactly where I was heading. but things went wrong for me um my grandmother raised me i didn't i wasn't raised by my parents and uh she had a very bad illness that meant she had to go into residential care so that meant uh, everything changed for me mm-hmm. so just to cut it short i um i left school without a qualification as a result of lots of things that happened at the time um and um yeah found myself in all sorts of circumstances that weren't easy so uh so my first part of my adulthood i was working three jobs um i, I was a cleaner i worked at uh bassets on their twilight shift 
<laughs> and I worked behind bars wherever they'd have me to. So every waking hour I was working. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then uh, had a child uh, as a single parent. I That gave me some determination to make something more of my life and uh, do something different. So uh, to I went to college and it was at college. So I kept the jobs going and went to college and it was at college. A tutor said, you should teach. <laughs> and that epiphany moment uh, gave me that uh, a lot of tears and then a nudge to try and get, because um, that person believed I could do it. And when I'd lost that belief. So uh, that led to me working uh, my way through qualifications to do that rather than the second, well, I finished the secretarial course, mm-hmm. got as high as I could get with everything and then went to do that trained to teach things like computers for the terrified and stuff like that. Eventually I worked with, uh, I was teaching in schools. I was teaching in uh, colleges. I've been an academic and uh, all of that led me to, um, it was others recognizing things in me mostly. And I think that's a key there, Uh, but I didn't always see for myself, but I found myself uh, facilitating others quite a lot. I'm very much a believer in building the capacity of others uh, rather than, it's not teaching, it's facilitating learning. And that ownership of that learning is then taken by that other person. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's how I ended up in leadership and management because people recognised that in me and I just kept getting more more jobs attached to me. Uh, and uh, that's how I ended up in leadership and management, really. I started to take on more levels of responsibility and uh, not just in volume, but in levels. And mm-hmm. um and that was through colleges. And then eventually I went to work nationally and I was head of quality. Um, I was national advisor for the voluntary sector for, mm-hmm. for the Learning and Skills Council. And uh, that was an unpaid role. And uh, <laughs> then, um, but did lots nationally and had an, a region under me. And then came back to Rotherham on a secondment and stayed here and didn't leave because I... Uh, that role so uh, there was lots there that taught me about what can make the greatest difference to children and young people in terms of their literacy because we brought mm-hmm. lots of research in and that's why Grimm & Co was set up on the basis of that. Fantastic, fantastic and and so you mentioned sort of being able to facilitate others learning, do you think there are other characteristics that are key for a good leader? Yeah I think um, you do need to know yourself and, and I've certainly learned to learn my, what my skills are and what my skills aren't mm-hmm. and, and being very open and honest you know transparent about that with your teams and outside of your teams being very open about your experiences the experiences you've had to do what you're doing and and also like I say your skills that you have and the skills you don't necessarily have so well yeah being open to develop your skills rather than cutting things off. Like um, for many years, I thought, oh, I'm hopeless with finances and numbers. Give me literacy all the day long, but numbers, no. Well, you know, when you, you're in leadership and management, if you don't know numbers, you, yeah. you, 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 you've blown it. So you've got to learn it. So uh-huh. being open to new learning that will then, it might not be something you enjoy so much, but um, if it gives you a tool towards making the job you've got more successful and the goals that you want to achieve achievable 
then it's a, it's something you need. Uh, yeah. So for me, you know, budget management is something I'm absolutely fine with now and and sort of enjoy. Okay. Um, because I've, I'm, I think mostly you don't enjoy things you don't like, um, yeah. that you don't feel confident in. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is why you've got to keep upskilling yourself to get confident in them. So yeah. I think, yeah, those key things, being open to new learning and new experiences, not shutting things out because you're not confident in them, but being open to learn about them so that you can develop confidence in them. Yeah. Um, being transparent with everybody else about where your strengths and weaknesses lie so that they can help as well. Being open to delegate uh, as much as possible that, because that brings others along. But so long as you do that delegation with support, then they mm-hmm. uh, others are supported and feel they've got the capacity and can then yeah. do that. So give them the right time, take on board their experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that is really important. You know, not being a good delegator means you're not actually developing your team. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And so was there an experience or a piece of advice that someone gave you that's helped you develop that leadership style? Yeah, um, somebody taught me about the importance, I should have known this being a, a literacy lead, but somebody taught me about the importance of communication and mm-hmm vision so having a vision holding on to that vision not drifting away from the vision and the mission that's underneath that and then communicating that is the leadership responsibility that is your main responsibility yeah in any leadership role that you can communicate that vision that mission and make sure that that's communicating in both directions it's not just communicating out it's listening back in as well and that person with gina hawkins she was um uh, she was deputy principal of the college uh, where I worked and she was very much a capacity building leader and um, she was very active in all sorts of ways, Uh, very knowledgeable, but also very open and transparent about where, you know, she had dyslexia and so she was very open about that so that people knew, you know, that that was the case for her. So she was very open about her skills, very open about um, who she was and where she came from. Uh, but equally did lots of uh, transferring some of that thinking to me because I modelled that as well. By her modelling, I was able to really learn from somebody that did things well and sometimes not so well, you know, but also make sure that in those times she didn't fail, I was there as well to support her. And understanding the need to do that uh, was really important. Um, but mostly she did things phenomenally well and was an amazing mentor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was very lucky, yeah, mm-hmm. that I had someone who, who could model that behaviour in ways that taught me such a lot about the way that I do things now. But also listening to your team, she taught me as well, you know, listen to the way teams, you know, the 360 uh, mm-hmm. feedback side of things can be done really well but it, sh- it shouldn't just be a once a year thing it should just be a practice that you have not asking people what do you think of me <laughs> but yeah. having that culture it's about having an organizational culture that people feel comfortable to, to yeah. challenge you when they need to uh, I think that's really important yeah I would agree I would agree absolutely and so you mentioned Gina are there other um, leaders that you admire past or present that you'd, you'd want to mention and share with us? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, there's um, Karen Borthwick uh, was a, a, somebody who was amazing with me uh, when 
during the Inspire Rotherham program that led to Grimm & Co being mm-hmm. formed. Uh, again, she was another person that was very much about building others' capacity. Uh, it's a theme there for me with the leaders that have been <laughs> pretty amazing. We've all had, I'm sure everyone's had leaders who aren't necessarily so amazing, and I've had mm-hmm. my share of those, but I've learned I've learned a lot from those as well. Yeah, um, sometimes you do, don't you? You do, yeah, ex- exactly. So, um, yeah, but the ones that have done have done that sort of thing. Yeah, I think they've been fantastic um, in in that capacity building, in that visioning, in that leadership of that, and then giving you the wings really to develop yourself. Without that, there were times when <laughs> um, I, I was given roles to do that. I thought way beyond me but they saw things in me that I didn't see for myself so they were great delegators um that gave me the support along the way to develop my skills and it's only because of people like them that I'm here now really doing this fantastic fantastic and so what you are doing now can you share with us what's going to be happening over the next six to twelve months at at Grimm & Co because it sounds as though there's lots going on yes um (laughs) the demand in the old place was huge for us and kept growing and growing um we were delivering for schools as i said before but they um the demand was much higher than we could ever deliver our space wasn't big enough it didn't have the capacity to do things so we knew we needed to grow uh to be able to meet that capacity meet that demand sorry but also um to try and be more sustainable in our own right we've always operated with a mixture of funding so that we're not totally reliant on one type of funding like the public purse so we we try and mix our funding now during a pandemic that doesn't work so well (laughs) because all those strands of funding a lot of them went down um so in some ways that wasn't necessarily the the best model but um coming out of that, uh, learning what we've learned from it. Um, we, we need to be more sustainable in our own right. So the, the, the building that I'm sitting in now that will be developed into this amazing emporium of stories is the, um, is a Gothic, huge old church mm-hmm. in Rotherham town center opposite the town hall. And in that building, there will be all of these things. There'll be three, times what we had before in the upper floor that we're fitting Mm -hmm. in the writer's pads where lots of the charitable work that we do will be going on but downstairs on the main floor we'll be able to sell our wares and um there'll be opportunities for us to have uh corporate events um host other events uh children's parties a whole host of things that will help us to raise funds towards the charitable stuff that we do Uh so it's about us trying to become more sustainable in our own way and uh be more inclusive as well be more accessible but we'll be able to do three times what we were doing upstairs and we'll be able to do more downstairs as well because we'll have this facility to turn it into a cabaret style theater uh, a theater theater cafe everything we'll have this fantastic agile space that will allow us to do it that's about 12 months away so that will be ready by about uh the end of 2023 Right. And in the meantime, we're going to pop up in a space in Rotherham and we've got to dress that space over the next few weeks and make it feel very grim. Mm-hmm. And we'll be operating from there in the meantime so that we'll be taking our theatres into that space and creating a, a secret door and it's going to be very exciting. So, yeah, we'll be coming to a place near you in Rotherham Town Centre very soon. 
Fantastic. And if people want to find you online and find the online store, where do they go? Yeah, it's the uh, worldwideweb.grimandco.co.uk and it's Grim and Co um, for, with Grim, that's two M's of course, one's magic and um, and that's A-N-D-C-O, that's for all the social media and it will be giving people information on there about what's going on over the next 12 months. Fantastic. Deborah, it's been brilliant speaking with you. I'm really pleased that it's all taken off and you've, you know, you've weathered the storm of COVID and you're bouncing back. It's brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're not the only ones and we know that. And I suppose, you know, it's it's been a learning curve and we've come out of it okay. Yeah. So we're very lucky that we've come out of it okay and we're managing. So, yeah, we, we're, and it's an exciting year for us ahead. So, yeah, thank you very much. We're really excited about this coming year and what it will bring for us. Yeah. So thank you for doing this with us.